0: On Friday, October 6th, Jackie Rivers Vital was turning in for the night when she checked her phone and saw notices of red alerts along the Gaza border with Israel. Two of her daughters, sons in law, and five grandchildren lived in communities in the border area, and her husband was visiting and staying at a guest house. What unfolded over the following hours and days was devastating, but also leavened with a few miracles. Jackie's daughter, Adi, was murdered by Hamas terrorists, who took her six-month and three-year-old boys as hostages briefly and used them to stage a propaganda video or two. All other family members, in the end, were safe. Speaking from her home in Jerusalem, Israel, on Tuesday, October 24th, Jackie takes State of Tel Aviv back to the earliest hours and the desperation and horror as the events of that Black Day unfolded. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, and now resident of the state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. Jackie Rivers Vital, speaking to the state of Tel Aviv from Jerusalem, Israel. Thank you so much for making time for us to get your story out. Glad to be with you. Really glad. In what are really horrific and unbearable unsurreal surreal times for you and your family, I'm sure, I know. Jackie, you are Canadian-Israeli. You were born and raised in Ottawa, Ontario, and have been living in Israel since you were in your early 20s, correct? Correct. And you've had the horrible misfortune of being very personally affected by the October 7th Hamas-ISIS savage attacks in southern Israel. Can you please tell us your story, the story of your family, what you've gone through since October 7th.
1: There's two sides to this story because my daughter and her two small children were in their safe room in kibbutz holit and my husband, who was visiting them for the holiday, was in the safe room in a house across the way. I was in Canada at the time. I don't remember if so I woke up or before I was going to sleep that I saw Red alert on my phone. And I was like, why is there a red alert in Israel? It's a holiday. So I called my husband a WhatsApp video. That's how we spoke while I was in Canada. I was just on a family visit for two weeks. And I said, why is there a red alert? And he said to me, I'm in a safe room on the kibbutz. First of all, it was really hard to hear him. It was very choppy. So he said, because the door was shut and so there's not good reception when you're in a safe room. And he said, I woke up to noise and I thought it was rain. But when I looked out the window, I saw it was missiles. That's what he told me. I knew that he was sleeping in the house across the way because there was not enough room in Adi's house for him to sleep. So when we visit, we always sleep in the other place. We have limited conversations and, and there was no more WhatsApp video. We were just audio messages. So we both have on our phones what we said to each other. I didn't get very much information because they weren't supposed to talk so that the terrorists wouldn't know that there was someone inside. And because I didn't really know a lot, I turned on my phone, the Israel news station to see what was happening, N12. I didn't understand what was going on. And I already saw pictures of Kibbutz Beeri and the party. And the people running and they're, they're on their motorcycles and on their vehicles, shooting everybody and people are running everywhere and fires, things were burning. But I was downstairs in my sister's house. And so I went upstairs and I said to them, something bad is happening in Israel. And it's happening in Beiri in a, a, in a park right near there. And I said, that's near where the, my kids live. But I didn't understand the scope that it was all over the place. I just thought it was very local. And I did watch the the news a little bit. I had uh, very little uh, communication with my family. My my other daughter lives in Kibbutz Kisufin. Oh my goodness. And she only moved there in, in July. And she was also stuck in her safe room with three small children. And at some point they wrote, we have a family WhatsApp. And at some point they wrote to me that There was no electricity. The electricity was down in Kisufim, So there was no communication, no telephone, no nothing. So nobody knew what was going on there. And at one point, I knew that my husband had, he was in the room by himself, and he had a bottle of water and a phone. That's all he had. That's pretty much what I knew all morning. I didn't really know what was going on in the kibbutz. I had no idea. And it was a few hours later. I know exactly where I was. It was about 1, 1 p.m. Ottawa time. So that was 8 p.m. in Israel. My husband called and he said, he, he told me, it's not good. We can't find a D or the
0: kids. So that started the whole, well, then where are they? As we in the West watched and tried to discern what was happening in the chaos, Jackie's husband emerged from the eye of the storm unscathed. And he began to search for his loved ones.
1: For some reason, they did not try to break into the house where he was living because they were going from house to house and pulling, killing people or pulling them out or whatever. They just they didn't go into the house that he lived in because it wasn't being lived in most of the week. The person who owns that place is abroad, and he just allowed my daughter to use it for guests to sleep in. So it was pretty run down so that they didn't bother going into that particular house. And when the the Israeli soldiers saved him, he told them to take him to my daughter's house, which was just across the way, to see if she was there. And that's when he he was in the house and they did however much they could check. I don't know, but he couldn't find her. So we just assumed that she had been kidnapped. And about an hour later, I got, I'm registered with the Canadian embassy in Israel. And I got the first of the messages. If you're in, if you need, if you're in trouble, and you need help, call SOS International. I called SOS International because Adi was also a Canadian citizen. And I said, my daughter, I said, I think my daughter's been kidnapped. And they said, how do you know? I said, because they can't find her. And that was the premise for the few days until they they did find her. For three days, we thought that she was kidnapped. And my husband, after he told me that she was missing, about an hour or two later, I got the message about my grandson standing on the border, the Gaza border, alone, and that someone came to get him and took him back into Israel. And it, it just, it didn't make sense. How did a, a, a little boy who's not even four years old get to the Gaza border all by himself? The pieces just didn't fall into place. A few hours later, I was told that a, a friend of Adiz from the kibbutz who was not shot. The terrorists brought the kids to her and told her, take them. And they walked them to the Gaza border.
0: This family has many stories that weave into one. Before we go further, I'd like to focus on those who were so central as the horror unfolded over several days. Jackie Rivers Vital is the mother of three daughters and a son. Adi Vital Kaplun lived on Kibbutz Cholet with her husband, Anani, and two young sons, Negev and Eshel, three years and six months old. Anani, their father, was out on an early morning hike with friends, so was not with Adi and the boys when Hamas ISIS stormed their kibbutz and home. Adi's father, Yaron, was staying in a guest house at the kibbutz. He was visiting with Adi's family. Yaron's wife, Jackie, was in Canada visiting her sister and extended family in Ottawa. Adi and her family, her nuclear family, are at the center of it all. But the whole family is caught up directly in this horrific storm. Stay with me. It gets a little more complicated. Avital, who is also very important in this story, is a friend of Adi's. Avital also lived on Kibbutz Cholit. I expect this refresher will be of value as you listen to Jackie explain what she learned how, and when. I want us to be in her shoes to the degree possible, which, of course, is impossible. Now, we segue into the importance of Hamas-ISIS brutality and propaganda, and it all ties in to Jackie's story. We now know from planning documents that many terrorists carried with them as well as the testimony of some terrorists captured and interrogated by Israeli authorities, that violence and terror were key goals of the attack. There is a video clip that was released in the immediate aftermath by Hamas ISIS and has gone somewhat viral. In it, we see a little boy. He is seated on a table looking somewhat disheveled and traumatized. Masked Hamas ISIS terrorists carrying very big guns, are bandaging his foot. They also bring a cup of water. Before allowing him to drink, they force him to say a short Islamic prayer. Once he complies, he is allowed to drink. When Jackie saw that video, she was horrified. The little boy is Negev. He is sitting on an outdoor table in his family's backyard, being filmed and terrorized. His mother, Adi, we presume, has been murdered by this time, quite possibly in front of him. She is nowhere to be seen. After making this video clip, intended to portray Hamas-Isis terrorists as being kind and compassionate, we assume that they took Negev and his baby brother Eshel from the house. What we know for a fact is that the terrorists continued on with the injured Negev. Someone had placed his baby brother in his carriage. The terrorists entered another home. Avital, Adi's friend, also lived on Holit, the same kibbutz. Avital and her friend, Chaim Katzman, were hiding in a closet in the safe room. In the meantime, a few houses down from Adi,
1: her friend, Avital, was hiding in a cupboard with Chaim Katzman. When they broke into their safe room, they were hiding in the safe room inside a closet. They shot open. They shot the closet. Patsman got was killed because he was shielding Avital. They pulled her out, and they brought the two kids to Avital and said, come. Now, Negev knows Avital because she's a friend of Adid's. So she took them. They made her cover herself because she was wearing, she was sleeveless. They made her cover herself with some clothes so she'd be modestly dressed, which actually saved the day later on. She carried the baby. And because Negev had been shot in the foot, one of the terrorists carried him on his shoulders. And they walked them to the Gaza border from the kibbutz. Avital said in total, she must have walked eight kilometers that day. They walked them through all this, hell to the border, she was walking with one group of terrorists and Negev was on the shoulders of a terrorist within a group behind them. There were two groups. So she said she had to keep turning around to make sure that Negev was okay because he was screaming and whatever. wants to go home, wants his parents, wants whatever our little boy wants. And for some, I guess it's because of this movie that they made or this clip that they made, they just told her, Go. So she started walking back to the
0: kibbutz. There was at least one more propaganda video staged at the border with the Gaza Strip. Then Avital and the boys were let go. Back to Jackie.
1: And when they got to the border, you see this woman walking over, coming to save him. And they, the propaganda was that was his mother. But it's not, it wasn't his mother. <laughs> it's Avital, the girl that that was also spirit. And she walked through fire and, and shooting and dead bodies and wh- whatever. Back to the kibbutz. Now, you must understand, Adi, my daughter, was hiding in the safe room with the, her two small children. Negev, who's almost four, and the baby, who the next day was six months old. Uh, we don't know of course, what exactly happened in that room? But when my husband came to look for her, the door had been totally shot. It was full of bullet holes, and he, he didn't—he did, couldn't see her or the kids. In retrospect, we know that the terrorists took the two boys and took them. In the meantime, they were going from house to house, looking, killing more people. And they got to the house where Avital. She was hiding in the cupboard with another friend of theirs.
0: Jackie has lived this every second and moves through the jumble of details that made no sense then and are overwhelming now. To listen plunges you into a darkness few have or will ever know. And because her family's story is so exceptional, because her young grandsons survived, it is even more bizarre and difficult to piece together. When you saw Jackie, when you refer to this clip, you're referring to the psychological terrorism begins right there. Presenting and right. tearing. Being,
1: they're being nice to them. Yeah. They're sparing them. So they, she walked back to the kibbutz. She said while she was walking, there were other terrorist groups driving by who could have done something to her, but they didn't. They just let her walk. So she used one of the skirts. She had three layers on her. So from one of the skirts, she made a sling to carry the baby. And because Negev couldn't really walk, so he was half crawling, half limping, oh. half on her shoulders. Somehow she made it back to the kibbutz. She found a hole in the fence and went back into the kibbutz and got to a safe place where I guess there were other survivors. And they waited till the, till the army evacuated
0: them to a safe place. And this is by the time she's been through this indescribable experience with your two grandsons. Is this now Saturday night by the time she makes it back safely?
1: Yeah, they take them to a, a safe place called Vulod. It's not far from where, from where Folit is, but that's where they were.
0: Meanwhile, Jackie's husband had no idea where Adi or his grandsons were. He was still on her kibbutz, Holit. My husband, in the meantime,
1: after he had gone into the house with the soldiers and couldn't find a D. He asked if he could leave. Once the all clear was done, he asked, because he didn't know at that point that the kids were with Avital, right? He just went into the house and said, they're all gone. So it was much later that he found out that they found the boys. He asked to leave and the soldiers told him, because you're not a resident of this part of the Gaza Strip settlements, you can go home. My he my car was parked near their house, and um, some of the windows were shot like completely, and there was glass all over the seat and a few bullet holes. But he managed to drive home, and what would have taken probably an hour and a quarter took him, know uh-huh. well, three hours to drive uh-huh. to Modiin. He went to my daughter's, another daughter, and again he knows nothing with, about what's happening to the daughter in Key Sophie. He doesn't know what's going on there either because there's no communication. And he said he, he had to drive through. There were tanks on the road already and mud from the tracks. And he's every so often, he, he said he was lucky he had a bottle of water in the car because his mouth was full of dust and whatever. And he had to go a long way around, not the straight and narrow. So he makes it to Monde It was about... I don't even, time frames, I don't remember. It's all in our WhatsApps, you know, all the messages. It's all in our phones. But we
0: knew that the kids were safe. Next, Jackie and her family were able to confirm that Adi's husband, Anani, who had set out on an early morning picnic with friends to watch the sunrise, that he was also safe. And then hours later, we found out that the
1: father was also safe. And he was uh, reunited with them in Vulot in that safe place. He wasn't in Khalid at the time. He, uh, earlier in the morning, he and some of his friends have a, a monthly ritual that they go out for, I don't know how you say, ti'ul. And, uh, a little no, trip, a little outing. A little trip. 4.30 in the morning, they go for a trip. They go to watch the sunrise. They have a picnic. They make breakfast. So they were not far from the kibbutz, but they got caught in this barrage of whatever was going on. And because he's part of the um, security team on the kibbutz, he he knew what to do. So he managed to take care of all of his friends to save them. And they managed to get to kibbutz, I think, Nirim. Mm -hmm. And they were there also until they were evacuated. So it wasn't until midnight
0: that he was reunited with his sons. Just to keep things clear, because there are so many moving parts, and it can be tricky to follow, Anani, Adi's husband, was back with his children. His day began with a picnic and ended finally, reunited with his sons and learning that his wife, Adi, Jackie's daughter, was missing. Incredible story. Just incredible. And of course, it wasn't until midnight that he learned that his wife is missing. You still don't know where Adi is, correct? No,
1: we don't know anything. And for just, for three days, we didn't know anything. We just assumed that she was kidnapped like all the other people that they can't
0: find, that still
1: they can't find.
0: Yeah. So how did you find out three days later? What led to you learning that Adi, in fact, was not kidnapped, but had been murdered?
1: The Israeli soldiers went back to check check houses again, and they saw her her body inside the safe room, but the the safe room had been booby-trapped. So they couldn't go in through the door. They had to take her out from the window. It's still booby-trapped. But the day after, after we found out that the boys were safe and everything, the following day, I sent a a message to Avital, the friend who walked with them from the border. And I asked her if I could speak with her because I wanted to fill in the blanks. I didn't know at that point, the whole story of how the boys, how Nick have got to the? be standing there by himself. So she, she actually did tell me exactly what happened to her and how she had the boys and what happened with
0: them. And uh, as all of this, sorry, Jackie, as all of this is going on, you're still in Ottawa? I'm still in Ottawa.
1: when I called that SOS number, remember I said the first yeah. thing I did was call SOS? Yeah. So they told me that in a few hours someone would call me and someone did. RCMPF officer. And he told me his name. And he said, I I would like to come in and speak with you. It'll be a few hours. And I said, you can come. I said, you can still come tonight, whatever time you want. I said, because by the time I tell you what you want to hear, it's going to be morning in Israel. And if you guys want to work on this, then come tonight. That's what I said to him. After a couple of hours, I was still waiting for him because he said he might come like at 11 at night. I thought to myself, what if this isn't real? Like maybe I'm talking to Hamas or something. Like I'm giving out all this information on a D, and maybe it's not true. So I called SOS again and I said, I've just given out some information about a D and I'm not sure I did the right thing. So she asked me if the officer had told me his name and I said, yes. So she She checked it for me and she said, no, it's legit. So that was, okay. Yeah. in,
0: In this kind of crazy, urgent madness, I would have expected to hear that they were at your house in five minutes, maybe 10.
1: When they came for four hours, they grilled me about a D.
0: When did they show up, the RCMP? Sunday morning at 8.30. You had spoken to them initially, put in your SOS call. And it was I called at two o'clock in the afternoon. Two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, and they found their way to your Ottawa home where you were staying at eight thirty on Sunday morning. They grilled you for four hours about a D. What kind of things did they ask? Are you able to share? It is important to note here that from the time that Jackie first made contact with Canada's Department of Global Affairs on Saturday, October seventh. At approximately 2 p.m., no government or police representative came to see her personally for more than 18 hours at 8.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. She told the RCMP that she would be happy if they came by even late on Saturday night, and she waited, and then she became worried. At about 11 p.m. on Saturday night, she began to fear that whoever had called her on the phone porting to be an RCMP officer may have been a fake and here she'd shared with him all manner of information on an open line. Was it Hamas? So she called the SOS line at Foreign Affairs, and the woman answering asked for the name she had been given. Oh, that's legit, she reassured Jackie. Jackie said, however, that once the RCMP did show up, they were beyond fantastic. She tells us about their discussions. I just wanted to know
1: everything they could about her, not just her physical description, but her likes, her dislikes, where she worked, her hobbies, her whatever kind of information I could give them.
0: Are you concerned with what is going on in Israel? This is not just another crisis. State of Tel Aviv is committed to delivering superb and candid analysis, and we're offering a limited time subscription special A 33% discount from the regular fee of $90 annually. One year for only $60. Stay informed and stay connected with State of Tel Aviv. We are a reader-supported enterprise. If you value our work, please subscribe. It makes a huge difference. StateofTelaviv.com. All one word. Now, we return to Jackie as she carefully recounts the events of Sunday, October 8th, and her long meeting with the RCMP officers. Well,
1: I think at, at some point, Avital called me. She called me back. Right. And I said, could you please tell me the real story? And she said, I said, is it okay, though? I have people in the room with me. And she said, yeah, okay. And she told the story in English so that they could fill in some blanks, too there were so many things that we didn't understand right that was part of it plus there was a lot of the um they explained to me the different teams that were going to be working with me because they were like the take care of me team but they really did take care of me for four days they were Amazing. amazing people good they were just unbelievable
0: so on sunday the day you were intended to return to israel You're in Ottawa and communicating with your family overseas by
1: WhatsApp, by video, by... I'm talking already with my husband, with my other children, the daughter that was on Kisuvim. They were stuck in their house for 11 hours. And when they were evacuated, like I said, the terrorists did not even try and break into her house. No, they just skipped over her house. They were evacuated to a hotel in the Dead Sea. And that's where they've been living ever since. They got there around 3 a.m. Israel time with three little kids. And about 4 a.m., she sent me a picture that they were finally sleeping in the bed. And they've been there ever since. And they just started school there yesterday. Now they're having makeshift school and done nursery schools because they're going to be there.
0: So your daughter, her husband, I assume, and these three young children were for some reason spared we do have these miracle stories here and there and remained in their safe room i assume and well, he, were spared only seeing anything directly the children did not see she said, this carnage the children
1: saw nothing she said when they told them that to come out she said there were soldiers standing on either side of the path that blocked the view so that the kids didn't see anything Thank she God. said they didn't see anything and then straight to the bus. She said she wanted to go back and get something. They said, get on the bus. Clothes on your sh-. That's it. Wow. You walk out with nothing.
0: So this was Saturday night, Sunday morning? Or was it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they get them to the Dead Sea. They're safe and going to try to start restoring some semblance of life. Sounds like they already are. In the meantime, Sunday night comes around in Ottawa. And you still don't know where Adi is. When did they no. find her? Tuesday. Tuesday. Wow. Yeah.
1: Sunday, Avital told me her story. And Monday, she went public on Israel TV. She's on uh, CNN. So we watched her do her interview on CNN. And then I see Adi's face plastered all over the screen. And that night, there was a rally in Ottawa. There was one in Ottawa and there was one in Toronto. And I said, I'm not going because I don't want this to be about me. Yeah. Because people knew already the story. So I didn't go, but my nephew actually told Trudeau the A.D. story. She's my cousin.
0: It's it's not just a name. At this point, Jackie recalled an important bit of information. The RCMP undertook to update her with any relevant developments. Among other things, they did share with her that Prime Minister Trudeau knew about A.D. on Sunday. Back to Jackie.
1: I know for a fact that on Sunday already Trudeau knew at least he knew about a d. I don't know who else, but he knew
0: about a D. Did he take a, a moment to telephone you, or
1: no, 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 they just told me that they had a big meeting that day or whatever, but they told me that he knew, and then Monday night, I actually told him himself this the story is as,
0: as much as we knew at that point. How so, did the prime minister respond?: I have no idea. The beep you just heard protects the identity of a member of Jackie's extended family in Ottawa that managed to have a word with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on the evening of Monday, October 9th, on the sidelines of a rally in support of Israel in Ottawa. For more information as to how Canada has been conducting itself at the federal level, please go to our website, stateoftelaviv.com. You will find articles and podcasts on many topics, including the conduct of the Prime Minister and his government. Canada is a G7 country, member of NATO, officially in the Five Eyes Intelligence Club. Canada is also a key member of NORAD and many other critical global institutions. Israel has noticed Canada's conduct, as have many other countries. They've noticed just how sharply Canada's position and conduct contrasts with that of the United States of America. France, Germany, Italy, the United Kingdom, the Netherlands. I could go on and on and on. It is interesting to note that President Biden made enormous efforts to meet in person with every hostage family or to speak with them by phone. The President of the United States. Yet Justin Trudeau did not seem to make the time to see Jackie while she was in Ottawa in the immediate aftermath of October 7th. But there's always a surprise. And in this case, it was Melanie Jolie, the Minister of Foreign Affairs.
1: You know who spoke to me? Who? Melanie Jolie, about an hour before I was leaving Ottawa. And what did she have to say? She said that we have a plane, some kind of a plane. It was like a military plane or something, leaving to go to I don't know where she, I, I don't think she said to tell me, maybe to Athens. I don't know where she wanted me to take me. And uh, I said, thank you, but I'm leaving in an hour for New York. It was like, you knew 24 hours earlier, lady. What, why did it take you 24 hours to call me? You no, know, she called me on Wednesday afternoon. On Wednesday afternoon. that said on Tuesday at two o'clock, I told my, my, my buddies, my RCMP buddies that, we, that they found a D.
0: She knew. Okay. But not only that, on Saturday, Ottawa knew. Foreign Affairs knew, RCMP knew, presumably the Prime Minister's office knew. Nobody called me. Okay. Nobody. So so Melanie waited until she knew that your daughter had been found murdered. I told the RCMP Tuesday at 2 p.m.
1: She called me Wednesday at 3 p.m. And she on her phone. So she hadn't come to the phone. I have her on my phone now. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great. Okay. So much for Canada. Sorry. I had to to pay for my flight to come back.
0: You had to pay. The government of Canada knew that your daughter had been murdered by Hamas, that your grandsons, they didn't help me. Jackie cannot say enough good things about her RCMP minders. They were a little slow in showing up initially, but from Sunday morning until she got on the plane to fly to New York and then on to Israel, they were beyond supportive. They attended to the smallest matters and demonstrated true professionalism and empathy. And I thought it important to make sure that this excellent work was recognized, as did Jackie. Let's say thank you to the RCMP, to the boys in red, men and women in red. Thank you so much for stepping up. Yeah, they did. They did. They really did. I'll skip over the trip back to Israel, which had its own challenges. But Jackie made it home for Thursday night, local time, in Israel. That is Thursday, October 12th. So at this point, so you're now back in Israel, of course, that Adi is no longer with us. If you landed in Israel, it was about 10.30 Thursday night. You arrived Thursday night, 10.30. And when was Adi's funeral? Sunday. What time was the funeral on Sunday.
1: Eleven on on Sunday morning,
0: and a thousand it was, people came.
1: They say over a thousand. I don't even know. And, uh, well, there was some uh, photographer there. We we said no to every, to all the media, and they were still there. BBC was. They called me, and I said no. And they were there anyways. Went well, out there around ten thirty. It started to rain, and then it started to pour. So people were soaked. While we were inside the chapel, it was pouring outside. When we did all the eulogies. And then when it was time to walk to the grave, the set came out and wow. it was beautiful. It, yeah, it was amazing.
0: Were her little boys at the funeral? No. Yes. And that, yeah, not nieces and nephews were there. No. And I suspect you're doing whatever form of shiva or mourning works for you at this time. But the little boys and their dad, where are they now? There's still some, there's no
1: other word for him, an extremely generous man, offered us the use of his house for the Shiva. We had this house. So Anani, Anani is my son-in-law, and the two kids are still there. And only tonight did he finally find an apartment that he says will be suitable for his needs. So he found something today.
0: I asked about the condition of almost four-year-old Negev's foot, which had been shot by the terrorists during the chaos on Saturday, October 7th.
1: The day after, it, he was already operated on at Charizadeh, and he's fine. I saw him yesterday when he was barefoot that and running. He was the slightest limp, but when he wears shoes and socks, you don't see anything. And the baby's fine. The baby's fine. And he was nursing, so they're getting milk from the bank. There's a bank of mother's milk or something. So he had to learn how to drink from a bottle. Fast. Yeah. He's fine and he's happy and he's gorgeous. Good. just beautiful. Does Negev understand that his mom isn't around? I know. I was told that he was told right at the very beginning, the psychologist said to tell him the truth, that your mother's not coming back. And today he had, my my husband is a volunteer for the police. He's been doing this his whole life. Today, Negev had a fun day with the uh,
0: police Speaking of police, Jackie did recall, as we were wrapping up our conversation, one detail that I found disturbing. Listen to her tell it. The RCMP, before we
1: knew that she was murdered, they kept saying to me, don't tell them not to keep saying she's a Canadian citizen. It's not good. It's not good. There it is. No, they kept telling me it's not good. They said, what if they find out she's Canadian and they want a ransom from the
0: Canadian government? I must say that when Jackie mentioned this point at the end of the interview, I was shocked, so I requested clarity that we review the matter carefully. And there is clarity. President Biden, throughout this horror, has shown such compassion. He has met with many survivors and their families. He has made many phone calls to loved ones he could not meet with personally. In contrast, not a single Canadian government official, aside from the RCMP, took the time to make contact with Jackie, not until Minister Jolie's rushed phone call to tell her about a plane she might be able to board at some undetermined date and time in the future. Prime Minister Trudeau, nothing. And now we learn that they were discussing the need to suppress awareness of Adi's Canadian nationality because ransom. Back to my chat with Jackie, where we review this one more time. Usually in these sorts of situations, it's, it's an advantage when you have a dual nationality or a foreign nationality, especially a Western nationality.
1: I was told that whatever's out there is out there because it was already in some of the Israeli press that she was a dual citizen, right, Israel-Canada. So they said, whatever's out there, we cannot take back. But right. better if you keep low. And if you can tell people in Israel, just not to mention the part about Canada that would be beneficial, let's put it that way, because they said there might be a a request from Hamas for a ransom if they know that she's Canadian, a ransom from the Canadian government. So I was fighting with people on this side in Israel, telling them, "Don't say anything, don't say anything." And they and but it's the Israelis were telling me, but in Israel they're telling us
0: yes to say. People were not happy with me. Interesting. Jackie Rivers Vital, I want you to know that there are so many Canadians, Jewish and not Jewish, and people throughout the West who are so aligned with you in this moment of unspeakable grief. And we support you. And I have to say, on a personal note, I'm just sitting here comfortably in Toronto and really just amazed by your composure and clarity and i really thank you so deeply for sharing your story because it must be heard we will not allow the world ever again to say we didn't know we have to keep telling these stories telling them and thank you so much for your composure and your courage and your obviously strength of character it's been such an honor to speak to you jackie Thank you. Thank you. In closing, I would like to speak directly to the issue of hostages and ransom. As a policy matter, this position would almost certainly have been directed by either the Prime Minister's office or the office of the clerk of the Privy Council, which is the equivalent of the Prime Minister's office, but on the public service side. The bureaucracy. Very powerful. As a Canadian, to hear that this issue is what preoccupied my government, is enraging. I want to make a special point of saying thank you to the RCMP, our men and women in that sharp red serge uniform. Thank you, RCMP, for your professionalism. I'm sorry that you were appointed the messenger for this unfortunate policy. As for Prime Minister Trudeau and Minister of Foreign Affairs Melanie Jolie, Canadians are waiting for an explanation. This matters to all Canadians, not just Jackie, not just a D, also those we abandoned in Afghanistan and more. Please tell Canada where you stand. And on a final note, I would like to make very clear that these closing comments are mine. They are made by me, Vivian Berkovich, not Jackie. Thank you, Jackie Rivers-Vital, for being so strong in the face of such adversity. And thank you to all those out there who support Israel, the West, and decency. We must not succumb to Hamas-ISIS terror. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture, and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially if In these very challenging times in Israel, it is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv.